Amen? Amen. Praise God. Awesome. Thank you, worship team. You are more than good. I love that new song. I hope you do too. Uh, I told Janie she should connect the scripture with it jokingly, and she said, I think that scripture might be John 3.16, and I think our people know it. So praise God. What a wonderful, wonderful song. What a wonderful time to worship. We're in the middle of uh, the gospel of Mark, Mark's eighth chapter. And we've been going through Mark, and we've been going through it fairly steadily. And we'll go through it till the end of uh, November, and then we'll start the Advent series. And we have a really good Advent series planned for you, okay? Uh, I want you to just be mindful of the Christmas season uh, 2020. I heard, uh, I thought it, and then I heard someone say it. In fact, my wife said it. Why would I want to roll my clocks back and give me one more hour of 2020? That has just been brutal uh, in, this, in this day. But God's still in charge, Amen. He's still on the throne. So today we're going to talk about, because yesterday wasn't just Halloween, it was also the day of Reformation, and today's not just November 1st, the month of Thanksgiving, it's All Saints Day. So we're going to talk about, uh, in scriptures, a great reformist and what some denominations would, would say is an all saint or a saint, and that's the life of Peter. Peter's brought out in Mark's gospel, the eighth chapter, and he's brought out in a real a humble way. And remember, when we, when we go back, it's Peter that's really telling John Mark about the gospel. It's Mark's gospel, but his name is John Mark. And John Mark, by the way, his mother is believed to have owned the upper room where many miracles and prayer meetings took place. The Last Supper is to believe it had been taking place there. So John Mark is kind of in the know, and Peter's become this person now, we'll learn today, that's not the Peter of boldness, uh, but a Peter of grace. He's not the Peter and the apostle that, you know, would go head first into a wall for Jesus. He's a, he's a mentor now. He's a true discipler. And it, I think what we have to understand is that we have to be careful that we're not reaching the multitudes and forsaking the one, okay? We get the multitude by reaching one by one, by sharing the good news, by sharing our life story. So I was walking our dog last night, and I was by myself, and I, I said this, my prayer, because Jane and I have been going through a prayer manual, a daily devotion that we hope to introduce to the church during the Advent season, uh, just a really cool way to, to do a devotional out loud, to pray out loud on a daily basis. And I was praying that the Lord would help me pastor my family, pastor my neighborhood, pastor my church, and pastor my community, only because that's, that's the way I want it to grow. And so Janie and I have tried to pastor our family for the last 40 years, and now we've tried to pastor our, our neighborhood. We're, 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 take, we're going around, and we, we took cookies uh, two years ago. We're praying for neighbors. We're going to continue to do that. We're pastoring our church here now for 12 years here in Hickory, and we want to be pastors in the community, not for adulation but for, for uh, mentorship, for discipleship, for being able to do things in the community. This is what Peter did. 
Peter was an amazing warrior for the Lord. And so we're going to talk about a story that you all well, real know, know really well. But it, that story is out of Matthew. And the story that Mark portrays is a little bit different because it comes again from Peter, but it comes in more humble side. So Mark's gospel, the eighth chapter, starting with verse number 27, Jesus said, went on uh, with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And this is a really strong interpretation. Like, Jesus knows he's been there. He's, he's, uh, he understands because he's all God and all man. But he wants to know, like, what, what are people saying? Let's go to verse 28 then. And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, of course, others say some of the other prophets. And, and I think this is an oddity that if we're not careful, we bypass this really quickly. Like they really thought Elijah was reincarnated. And this is, this is Elijah. This is that great prophet that called fire down from heaven. This is the prophet Elijah. So they were giving Jesus some credit. And they, well, maybe he's John the Baptist. Maybe John the Baptist didn't die. And now, or that spirit that's in John the Baptist, maybe that, that spirit now is in, is in this man who they call Jesus. In fact, a lot of people would call, <coughs> excuse me, their sons Jesus. It was a, a Yeshua, Joshua in the Old Testament. It was a common name because they wanted him to be the Christ. Or maybe you're just one of the other prophets. And then Jesus says in verse 29, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Let's move on to verse 30 and we'll, we'll, we'll camp out here in a little bit. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief, <coughs> excuse me, chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for truth. Thank you today, Lord, that uh, Peter was a reformer, Lord, and a saint because he was living as a Christ follower, of which we all are saints, uh, those that follow you. Lord, and help us to know today, Lord, that we can reform our lives as you restore them as we walk, Father, together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Wherever you're at, say amen. Praise God. And so we, we see in Matthew's gospel, we won't turn there in the 16th chapter, on around the 22nd verse or so, that we see that Jesus says the same thing. Matthew's recording. Matthew was a disciple, Levi the tax collector. He became a disciple. He left all and followed, okay? Peter was a disciple. He followed. John Mark wasn't, all right? He was connected with Mary of Salome. He was part of that upper room experience, but he came along later, and we know from history and from our, our teachings here that John Mark was a little bit of a failure with Paul that Paul kicked him off the missions trip and Barnabas picked him up and somewhere along the line, Peter came in and got really connected with him and somewhat restored him. But Peter knew what it was like to be restored. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, Simon Barjona, 
And this is the same Barjona as if he was talking to Jonah, okay, the, the, the minor prophet who was swallowed by a great big fish for three days and three nights and, and spewed out and ran to Nineveh and preached the good news and then got mad because they all repented. By the way, we should never get mad when people repent. And we should give them uh, grace when they do repent. Does that make sense? Sometimes we want people changed immediately because, again, it's easier for us. And the Bible says where there are no oxen, the, the, the stalls stay clean. What does that mean? Well, ministry can be messy. Working with people can be messy. And so, so Jesus says in Matthew, and Matthew's recording is much stronger. Matthew's recording is talking about Peter in this way. Simon Barjona, the man is not revealed to this to you, but God Almighty. The, he's revealed this to you. And it's kind of a really, it's like a really cool statement. It's a really powerful statement. But in Mark's gospel, Peter, who's given the information, doesn't rehearse it that way. It's more low-key, but he does go into the rebuke. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to die, but I'm going to raise again on the third day. And Peter, this bold Peter, he's like, no, you're not going to do that. That's not going to happen. Haven't we sometimes said things that we wish we wouldn't have said because it wasn't God's plan? And even the Bible says in Proverbs, it says in, in, in Psalms, it says even in the New Testament, Jesus quoting that we shouldn't even really so much plan for tomorrow. I mean, it's good to plan for tomorrow, but we should respect this day. And if you're healthy today, and if you're alive today, and if you have friends or family today, if you have a spouse or kids today, or grandbabies today, or if you're, you're alive today, you should be thanking God today. That it's an unwise person, Solomon said, that plans too far in advance. Well, I'm going to do this. In fact, the Bible says we should say, if the Lord wills. And I understand that maybe there's a generation out there that thinks that's kind of a religious statement. But the fact of the matter is, we should say, God willing, I'm going to plan on doing this if the time presents itself. Peter is, has these epic failures in his life. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want all my failures on the big screen. Would you? I mean, I, I wouldn't want, you know, the, someone to check out the DVD in heaven. I'm going to go check on Mark there and see, see how he actually did live his life. Well, Peter's life, is, it's, it's out there for us. It's like David's life. Or Abraham lied. Noah got drunk. Gideon was a coward. David, you know all of his, his mess-ups. Well, Peter had some mess-ups. We're going to go through a couple of them today. Peter walked on water, but then he fell into the sea, okay? And I have written underneath there, Peter takes us from faith to failure. Usually we're from going from failure to faith, but Peter walks on water. One of, one of only two people in the scriptures that ever walked on water, Jesus, Jesus being the other one. He walks on water. But I want to tell you, as we go through this message today, it was much, much better of what Peter did at the end than the faith that he took to walk on water just for those few steps. And we can't compare ourselves to the Peter that walked on water. We have to compare ourselves to the Peter who decided to mentor and disciple and really bring things together. See, the uh, day of Reformation would be more for people who follow a Protestant-type faith because that's when Luther uh, signed his 95 Theses 
trees and hung it on the walls of Wittenberg. But the day of all saints would be more for a Catholic tradition where they hold up the saints before God. And I say what we need to do is stop denominational boundaries and walk together and say, hey, if you are a Christ follower, we're all on the same team. We're in this together. And it, it, happen, it has to happen this Tuesday the same way, that no matter who you vote for, we're all on the same team at the end of the day. We need to pray for whoever God allows to be in charge. Amen? Well, I'm not going to vote for that person because or I'm not going to pray for that person or I'm not going to do We just need to be biblical about how we follow Christ. Amen? And so listen, however it turns out, just vote. Vote your conscience. Vote your heart. Vote if you haven't already voted. Make sure you vote. If you've already voted, then, then, then watch. And if it's not determined on, on Tuesday night, then maybe Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or at some point in time, this thing will be determined. And then you, you pray for the person that's in charge so that that person can lead America. But know this, that Jesus Christ needs to lead our hearts. He needs to lead our spirit. He needs to lead our soul. He needs to lead our person. And he needs to be the leader of our church and our family. And then our churches and our family need to be leaders in our communities. Amen? Amen. So Peter walks on water, but then he falls in, into the sea. Number, number two, he defends Christ, but then he denies him, quickly denies him. He's like, you are the Christ. No, I never met the guy. I don't know who he is. He, he, become, he takes us from bold spirituality to quickly cowardice. It's like, what, what are you doing, Peter? And again, it's easy for us to look back some 2,000 years and say, man, I wouldn't be that coward. I wouldn't do that. But sometimes we do that in our jobs. Sometimes we do that in our homes. Sometimes we do that in our communities. Sometimes we even do it in our churches. We have to stand up and be Christ followers to show who is in charge of this thing? His name is Jesus Christ. He's from Nazareth. Amen. Number three, Peter confesses Jesus and then he rebukes him. It's like, you are the Christ, yes, but no, you're not going to die. And he has a spiritual boldness and it takes over, but then it, it goes from spiritual revelation to spiritual ignorance. It's like, what, what, what is going on? And I like how Peter develops in the end. And you have to you stay with me for this for the next few moments is there is so many times where us as Christ followers walk through these steps. I love the Lord. And, and, and we, we, we kind of, we, we serve Jesus, and we'll get into this in a moment. We serve Jesus, but we may serve him for all the wrong reasons. And I want to open that up to you today. And I think Peter was serving Jesus because he thought, one, that Jesus was going to set up his kingdom here on earth. And he's like the right-hand man of Jesus, so maybe I'm going to get the right-hand spot at the table. I'm going, to, I'm going to serve, and maybe we do things in a political realm or a social realm or an economic realm or a racial realm, thinking that we're going to get somebody's best or somebody's partnership when we really need to be able to know how God looks at every person. There's a... Um, so we're coming live today out of Hickory, North Carolina, and right across the road, there's going to be a political event later, like at 5.30 tonight, and there's already 10 or 20 buses full of people waiting to get into the political event. 
uh, seven or eight hours from now. But when the church doors open next week, the same people will say, I, I can't go to church. I, I can't, I, I can't do that. Now, now hear me for a second. I'm not mad. I'm just asking you make sure that you follow Jesus and not a man. Make sure you follow Jesus. Make sure you love God and not a person, either political party. Well, no matter who you vote for, make sure that your faith, hope, trust, belief, and confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ and not some person. Now, that probably made some people mad. Half of our congregation is mad at me right now, and the other half are like, yeah, you tell them. <laughs> but I would say that no matter who the political person is across the street, there's no reason that we can't endear ourselves to the Lord. I love what Janie said when she opened the service. The Lord loves to hear your voice in prayer, in worship, in love, in deeds. Sometimes your deeds speak much louder than our words. Peter had this problem where he spoke before he thought. Like, oh, I probably wish I wouldn't have said that. And then the last thing, though, Peter denies Christ but then he is restored by him. Now hear me, that's the beauty of this thing right here, where before it was from faith to failure. Before it was spiritual revelation to spiritual ignorance. Now it's, I, I've messed up. I denied Christ and Jesus comes back and restores him. And we're gonna walk you through that restoration process for a moment because it's critically important for you to understand restoration just doesn't stop with receiving Christ. Restoration is a, is a model of watching us walk through. So first, number one, God uses people in spite of their failures. And the scripture is full of failed, flawed people, much like myself. It's full of people. I named a few of them. Abraham, Moses, Gideon, Jacob's name meant deceiver until he wrestled with God and became Israel. Okay, uh, people in the street, David, five times David should have died for sins that he committed. Not one. And God says he's a man after my own heart. God uses people in spite of their failures. We disqualify ourselves and say God can't use us. God, God, God wouldn't use me because I've had this failure or that failure. I've done this or I've done that. Listen, this is the part of repentance that leads to restoration. And restoration leads to being used by God. When we recognize that we're all flawed human beings... See, what happened to the Pharisees is they forgot they were human. They set up their rules. They set up their religious tenacities. They set up the things in their life that said, no, this is how we're going to be. This, this is us right here, all right? And you're going to have to line up how we want you to line up. But no, that's not how Jesus works. Jesus works like this. He's going to take you just the way you are. And Grace Church, worldwide, that's how we need to receive people, just the way they are, knowing and asking God to change us all from the inside out, to make us all converts of him so that we can be used of him. When we become Christ-like, when we become used for the gospel, used for the body of believers, when we become people that, that get, see, it's when we buy into our failures, Billy Graham, everybody knows uh, the, the name Billy Graham. Everybody knows, worldwide. I think he met and prayed with seven different presidents. Just an amazing, amazing man. Went home to be with the Lord a year or two years ago. 
Amazing person. What a testimony. And, and Republicans liked him, and Democrats liked him, and Catholics liked him, and, and uh, Pentecostals liked him, and Protestants liked him, and Baptists liked him, and Methodists liked him. Everybody liked Billy Graham. But when he first started preaching, he wasn't the most dominant speaker in the land. There was a man by the name of Charles Templeton who was a contemporary of Graham's. In fact, they, they would almost have uh, uh, s- some sort of, of competition. And the preaching uh, crowds of Templeton were actually larger than the preaching crowds of Billy Graham in the 40s and the 50s and the early 60s. And, and it became a deal where uh, Templeton had this many people and Graham had this many people. And they were, they were they would back and forth. And Templeton were preaching more of a, uh, maybe more of a charismatic gospel. And, and Billy Graham was more of a salvation gospel. And one day, Templeton, over a series of weeks or or months, if not even years, he he fell away. He he stopped preaching the gospel. In fact, Billy Graham went to go see Charles Templeton, and Charles Templeton said, I'm agnostic. I don't don't believe anymore. He is a person that allowed his failures to get in the way of what even God wanted to use him for. And I think we have to remember that however God uses us, it's not for our vainglory, but it's so that God can be honored, praised, and glorified in all the things that he is, all the things that he does. But if you have a past that someone has thought of you as a failure, someone's thought of you as you don't belong, someone's thought of you as disrespect, or you've thought of yourself as not belonging, God can and will and wants to still use you. Number two, maturity of a Christ follower becomes a rite of passage. This is important to know. The maturity of a Christ follower. So here's maturity. Here's where Peter starts to mature. Peter, in the beginning, is going to tell Jesus, no, you're not going to die for us. Peter, in the beginning, says, Lord, bid me come if it's you, and I'll walk on the water. And he walks on the water. Peter, in the beginning, he, he, see, he takes the sword. He cuts off Malchus's ear. Peter, in the beginning, he's all in. Peter, in the end, though, becomes much more mature. If you read First and Second Peter, if you read the Gospel of Mark, many of those are Peter's writings. And we understand here that, see, when we mature in Christ, much like a, a little baby, our, our youngest grandson was over the house last night, and he was dressed up like a pumpkin, and he's got this cute little round face and big old eyes, and, and he's, he's, uh, he's a bit of a hugger now, okay? And so we pick him up, and he's hugging Janie and kind of patting her on the back a little bit, and so I want to get him the hug, and so I pick him up, and he's hugging me, and, and, and Selah, his sister, she's a little bit independent, all right? She, like, like she's she's gonna kind of tell you how to do it. We we went to Hilton Head this past August uh, as a family vacation for our 40th anniversary, and, and the first um, the the first day was Sayla and her family roomed with us in our place. Okay, so Marcus and Charity and Sayla and Judah they were they had one wing of the place, and then Janie and I were on the other, and then Andrew and uh, Emily and Jessica and the boys they were in another unit. So the first morning I walk I walk out the door and Sayla's sitting right there on the floor, and she says, "Poppy, is is Grammy awake yet?" 
I said, she sure is. Could, could I go see her? I said, you sure can. Just go right in there. So she goes in there. Hey, Grammy. And they're, they're fixing their hair together. And the next morning I get up and, and, and walk out the door. And, and Selah says, is Grammy up? And I said, she sure is, honey. And she runs in there. The third day I, I open the door and Selah blows by me. And on the way she's running through, she says, is Grammy away? Grammy, Grammy. And it's like every day she just got a little bit more anxious. And one morning she was going to pour her own cereal. And I said, Selah, you need some help. And Marcus said, oh, Papa, she can do her own. So she pulls a handful of Cheerios in a bowl and then a handful of cornflakes, I think, in a bowl, a handful of maybe rice checks or something in a bowl, and then another handful of Cheerios, and then another handful of Cheerios. And I noticed she liked Cheerios, and she was getting ready to pour the milk. And, and Marcus said, I'll, I'll pour the milk for you. <laughs> said, How come she can't do her own milk? She, she does everything else. She's, she's very independent. Well, maturity, though, Judah is in the stage of, of needing things, just like a new follower in Christ. And Judah will say some words, and he makes some really cool noises. And Marcus and Sherry know exactly what he wants because he's on a tight schedule. And when we first become followers of Christ, we're that new babe in Christ. In fact, Paul says, you must get off the milk then and eat some meat. So here's what happens. This is a sign of maturity. If your whole prayer life is designed around what you can get from God or what you want Jesus to do for you, you're still an immature follower of Christ. See, when we, we, when we move from what we want from Jesus to what we can do for Jesus, that's the sign of a mature believer. So we, Lord, I need this, I need this. And there's nothing wrong with asking God to protect your family, to heal a loved one, to provide need, the means necessary. But when we stop there and don't move over here and say, God, would you allow me to be a witness? God, would you allow me to be a testimony? God, would you allow me to share the good news? God, would you bring unity in our country? God, would you bless our church? God, would you show us a way to knock on doors and to, to give away turkeys and to do, to do whatever so that we can start start to be a blessing to the kingdom of God. That's maturity. That's what happened with Peter. Peter was all about showing off for the other disciples because he wanted to make Jesus proud of him, but he was doing it in such a way that it was becoming rebellious and he was going to fall because a proud and haughty spirit leads to a fall. But 30 years later, when he's sitting in a Jerusalem coffee shop with John Mark and he's telling them he's got this grace-filled position. And when you read First and Second Peter, all you hear about is grace and love. This isn't the Peter that I read about in the Gospels that's cutting off ears. This isn't the Peter Peter that I'm reading about that's rebuking Jesus. This isn't the Peter I'm reading about that, that's denying Christ. This is the Peter now who has matured. And church, I want to encourage you, if you feel like, or you sense yourself, and I want you to take a self-examination, I mean, be honest with yourself. If my prayers are always about me, then I have not matured to what Jesus needs me to be. My prayers need to be about praying for other people. My prayers need to be about building other people up in the unity of faith. My people need to be about bringing people together and bringing peace, not discord and divide. My prayers need to be about rising above who's ever in power because I know the person who's really in power, and his name is Jesus Christ. That becomes the maturity. Now there's a rite of passage. Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants because servants do what the master has told them. Now I call you friends. 
And that's what Jesus wants to, he, when you wake up tomorrow, Jesus wants to call you a friend. We've seen it in the experience of our family. Our kids were little. We would, we would talk to them. We would correct them. We would coach them. We would encourage them. We would applaud them. We were, we were their greatest cheerleaders. And then as they got older, we would counsel them. We would confide in them. We would share with them. We're still their parents. We'll always be their parents. But now there's a, there's a sense they're friends of ours. They're, 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 we love to do things with them. We like to vacation with them. We like to go see them. We like to go out to eat. We like to visit with them. We, we love their kids, and, and they're always our kids but there's a friendship now. Jesus wants to be your friend. Think about that. The creator of the universe, the person who spoke this whole world into existence, he wants to be your friend. It's an amazing story. But in a friendship, Solomon said, be worried the person that always comes needing something. Be worried the neighbor that always wants something from you, that stays too long. That's not a good neighbor. See, Jesus wants to give you the things that you have need of, but he also wants to use you. He also wants to bless you. He also wants to encourage you. He also wants to share with you. Christ's followers and the maturity is, Jesus, give me, give me, give me. Maturity is, Jesus, use me, use me, use me. Help me to share. Help me to care. There was a sister in the Lord that I, when Janie was really sick and, and I had, uh, a lot of people don't have my phone number and uh, she would text Janie and I would say, Hey, this is pastor. And she texted in the morning and then she texted at night and then she texted in the afternoon and then she wanted to bring meals and there was, it was just going on and on. And I, and I was like, that's really cool. Like that, that person is just really trying to be Jesus to Janie. It was, it was just really, it was just awesome. And I'm like, that is, it was, man, it just, it just blessed my heart to see how God pours through people. And listen, listen to me, please. Those of you that are watching, every single one of us have the opportunity to be Christ to somebody else. Whether we agree with them politically or not, whether we agree with them uh, with their ethnicity or their creed or their race, what, whatever the background is, whatever we might, I was telling our son, Andrew, uh, he, he wants me to run a marathon with him next year. And I'm like, that's, that's a pipe dream, but I'm going to do it. And so he said, well, let's run the Chicago marathon. I said, no, people in Chicago are from European descent. They're just stubborn. I don't get along with them. Now I say that, because I'm from European descent, and I'm stubborn. And, I, and, and so, so don't give me, if you're from Chicago or live in Chicago or European descent, I'm saying that because that's, that's how I am. And so we, we were laughing about it, okay? There's stubborn people. But listen, that stubbornness in Peter was softened over years. Now he's sitting down with John Mark, and they're pinning one of the most wonderful gospels there is. And he's leaving out the parts, the good parts about him. And he's speaking the bad parts. That's a sign of a mature believer. Number three, suffering is part of Jesus' culture. If you're going to be part of the Jesus culture, not talking about a group, <laughs> if you want to be part of the Jesus movement, if you want to be part of Jesus, it's not all going to be about brand new cars and brand new homes and wonderful vacations. Fact is, most of it's going to be about suffering for Jesus and the weight of the world on you. And I know we're supposed to cast our cares on Jesus. By the way, it was Peter that said that. 
Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. But the fact of the matter is, through coronavirus, through a political election year, through racial tension, through people losing jobs, through things maybe being done or not being done, or there being enough or not being enough, there is going to be a part of you that suffers. And I like what Jesus said to Peter in Luke's gospel. I think it was around the 22nd chapter. He said, Peter, Jesus or Satan wishes to have you. In fact, he wishes to sift you like wheat, like he wants to run you through the millstone. They would take a millstone and they would scrape the wheat and would go over a, a, a screen and would fall down. This is what he wants to do to you. But, but, and I imagine Peter probably thought, but you've taken care of it, right, Lord? No, but I've prayed for you. Think about that for a second. And I'm thinking, wait a second, Peter, like, Jesus, you could just handle this right now. And he could clear your coronavirus, and he could clear your dead, and he could clear all those things, and he will someday, and we call it heaven. But right now, there will be suffering. That doesn't build a church. I understand that. But it does build the spirit, and it does build the soul. There will be suffering. There will be times. And I'm thinking, well, Jesus said, but I've prayed for you, Peter. And he certainly did because then he comes back around in John's gospel, the 21st chapter. And John 20 sounds like the gospel's over. But then there's an almost a, a wait a minute. And he restores Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Lord, you know I love you. He restored him three times because he denied him three times. That's just my guess. But I'm wondering because Jesus was all God and Jesus was all man, and he understood suffering was a part of it, and he says it in Mark the 8th gospel, hey, they're going to kill me, but don't worry, I'm going to rise again on the third day, that because he was all God and all man, he actually knew ahead of time which Roman soldiers were going to nail him to the cross, and he could have gotten rid of them, but he chose not to. Why? Because suffering is part of the Jesus movement. He... He could have, as I would have, caused a, a wind, a fire, a hurricane, or tornado, or something to get rid of the trees that that cross was made of, but he chose to allow that tree to grow, the very tree that came across that he died on, because suffering is a part of Jesus' culture. And he asked, and we'll find this out in the next week or so, he asked James and John, can you be part, can you drink from the same cup that I drank, drink from? And we understand that that drink is suffering. And I want to tell you that there is a soft gospel out there that would have you believe that you're not blessed if things don't go your way. That you're not, you're not a believer or a strong believer if you didn't get healed. You're not a strong believer if you did get laid off. And you're looking at a person that got laid off four times before our third youngest was 18 months old. Trying to take some classes at night, getting laid off a job, and, and working two or three jobs, odd jobs during the day, trying to make ends meet while Janie was home with three kids, the oldest being three. So I understand what it's like when you go through financial duress, but let me tell you this, that that is just for a season. That God is in charge. That much I know. And when we suffer... The test becomes a testimony because the Lord likes to know how you're going to go through those things in your life that you go through. But suffering is certainly part of it. And last but not least, following Jesus means to live a holy life. The word holy means to be set apart. 
It means to be separate. Now, here's where the scribes and Pharisees, I believe, and the Sadducees messed up. They, they wanted to be separate, but what, in their separation, they judged the other side. They said, well, you can't be part of us because you're a Gentile. You can't be part of us because you're a woman. You can't be part of us because you have a, a sickness, so therefore there must be sin in your family. They started to judge everything. Rather than include people, rather than like that, I like what Joel Osteen says about his dad. His dad, John, would say this, when, 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 you, when you put a circle around yourself and count me out, I'll draw a, big, a bigger circle around us both and count you in. I think that's the truth of the gospel, that when we live a holy life, we live it internally so as to not exclude people, but to include them so that they in turn see Jesus through us and they want to be like this. This is what Peter did after 30 years of ministry. Christ had already gone. He hadn't come back. He's living, he's living a gospel. He's running for his life. He's preaching the good news. He sees revival take place. The persecuted church is growing. Churches are popping up everywhere. And he sits down with John Mark and says, wait a second, we must be holy. In fact, Jesus said, you must be holy as I am holy. The psalmist said, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Let me give you, and they're not up here, let me give you six things as we close in a moment on what it means to be holy. Holiness is a sense of humility. In other words, you're not, and this is what Peter walked through. Peter walked through the sense of, it used to be about Peter, now it's about John Mark, now it's about the Gospels, now it's about Jesus, now it's about grace and mercy and love and truth. And if you walk in a sense of humility, you know it's not about you. That's holiness. Number two, it's about love. It's about loving all people. Pastor, they don't look like me. They don't vote like me. They don't act like me. They don't have a job like me. They don't do this like me. Listen, except for the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, we, we would all be splitting hell wide open. I like the first song that we sang about love. God is love, for God so loved the world that what he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a matter of love. Number three, it's tolerance. We don't like that word because different people have used it, maybe to their advantage, maybe for their agenda. I don't know. I just know that we're supposed to tolerate because we're living a holy life. Listen, Jesus said, and the greatest advice I had ever gotten going into full-time ministry was from a person who had pastored now for over 55 years. He said, listen, you don't separate the wheat from the tear. That's God's duty. You don't separate people in your church. Do you think they're living it or not living it? you think they're right and not right? That's God's duty. So we tolerate. Why? We tolerate in prayer, right? We tolerate so that we say, Lord, would you not change them? Lord, would you change me so that I can be more Jesus to them, whoever them are? Number four is discipline. So Janie and I have been practicing through the whole coronavirus we get up every morning, and sometimes because of our schedule before, we, we always prayed, but we didn't always pray together. So now we read together. We read our scripture together. We read Psalms 91 together. We, we read our prayer journal together. We pray over everybody together. There's a form of discipline there. I'm a somewhat disciplined type person. I already know what I'm wearing next Sunday for church. 
and the Sunday after that. I don't know if that's discipline or not. Some of you just say it's weird. Some of you say it's OCD. Some of you just say, well, that's just pastor. But when you get your regular prayer time or your reading time or your quality time or your family time or your schedule time, there's a discipline that goes in, and that discipline breeds holiness. Number five, peace, Jehovah Shalom. Let there be peace over us. That's a holiness. That's, and I'm not talking about a separation from. I'm talking about being separate so that you can become to those. As the worship team comes back, one more, and that's faithfulness. When we have a sense of faithfulness in our life, when we have a sense of duty in our life to be faithful to the Lord, and we know who God is in our life, we know who God is, and we trust him because of it. See, when we recognize the monument change that Peter went through. We see it in ourselves, how maybe bold we are to start with. And then some people will taper off and fall away. It's like, well, then they're into, they're into something else. You know people. I, I've seen people, we're going to take them to Israel. I've seen people, we're going we're gonna to sell this and make the church rich. We're going we're gonna to do this. And it all becomes a ploy. And it's just, Solomon said, look at the ant who has no leader, but goes and gathers food all summer long so that they have a large harvest in the wintertime and they eat thereof all the time. And it's just a little ant that we're looking at. And it's, so it's not about being bold. It's not about being large and in charge. It's, not, it's about just doing a daily activity. Peter learns this, that when he comes around later in life, maybe he's 60, maybe he's 65, maybe he's 55, maybe he's 70. I'm not sure how old he is, but say, for instance, he's probably 30 or 35 when Jesus comes and says, would you follow me? And he ministers for three and a half years, and then they're planting churches, and they're preaching, and they're running. But then later, after the fact, probably 60 A.D. or so, he sits with John Mark. And let me tell you a story. Do you know who the Christ is? And I want to tell that to you today. Do you know who Jesus is? I mean, do you really know him? Not like I said the prayer at seven, got baptized at eight, and lived like the devil ever since. Do you really know Jesus? Because if you really know Jesus, he will change your life. And if you allow him to, your changed life will change every person around you. One of two ways. One, you see them differently. You now see them like God sees them. You now see them as a person that just needs love in their life, unconditional love, love that, that nobody else can give but God. And then you see them in a different light because now all of a sudden you know that they see a true Jesus in you, that you're not a person full of judgment and condemnation. And you're not finger pointing. You're just simply saying, like Peter, but this gospel of grace is amazing. This gospel of grace is, is way larger than, than we can think. And he, he takes time to restore John Mark from the mission field when Paul sent him home because he's restored by the master. He was restored by Jesus. And I want to take a moment today to ask you, do you need to be restored? Are you the immature believer that keeps saying, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need? to the mature believer that says, 
Lord, would you work through me? Would you help me to help others? Would you help me to love others? Would you help me to care for others? And if you're watching or listening today, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes just for a moment. I want you to be honest with yourself. True faith is what Peter displays at the backside of his ministry, not the Peter that walks on water. True faith is simply saying, Lord, I know the world's in an uproar. I know it is a mess. Would you use me not to get my way? Would you use me to get your way? And if you'll pray that prayer, if you'll ask the Lord just to work through you, not for your way, not for your will, but for his way and his will, one, it's a dangerous prayer, but two, it's a godly prayer, and God will work through you. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for our dear friends watching those few handful that are here in the house. Lord, not that we would get our way, Lord, but that we would have your way. Lord, that we would do your way, that we would see your will, not just in election, not just in finance, not just in the community. Lord, in all things, Lord, that we would have your way your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship one more song together. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in today.
your home, in this room, in your car, begin to give God a shout of praise and begin to thank him. Amen. Don't be worried about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's the peace of God that surpasses understanding. When people look at you and they don't understand why you have peace. This year's been really crazy, it's been really weird, and there's been times in my life where you might look at me and think, why does he have peace? People might look at you and wonder, why does she have peace? It's because we have put our faith in the things that are not seen. Amen. We put our faith in a God who cares, in a God who loves, and in a God who is the Lord. Regardless of who is uh, controlling the government of this world, we know that the Lord, our God, Jesus Christ, controls our hearts and our minds, and he has established himself in his kingdom. So we don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid. But in prayer, in, in petition with thanksgiving, we can present our requests to God. Amen. So let's do that right now. Let's close right here with a word of prayer and believing that God is going to do miracles. For those of you that are watching right now, uh, some of you uh, have been diagnosed with the coronavirus. Some of you are, have been laid off. Some of you uh, have are, are searching for answers, even deep, meaningful answers, spiritual things in your heart, and you're wondering, God, why? But you don't have to worry. Instead, we can place our hearts and our minds and our requests before the Lord. So let's do that now. Father, we thank you that this world uh, is, is of this world, but you have a kingdom that is of a greater world. Lord, and so we thank you that we put our faith in you today, God, that we trust you, that we put, give you thanksgiving, Lord, with our prayer and with our petitions. God, and we ask that that peace of God would begin to fill us now. For those that are sick or unemployed or worried or anxious, struggling in any aspect, God, we, we just ask as we cast our cares upon you because you care for us, Lord, that, that we would receive the peace of God that surpasses all understanding as we put our faith in you and the one who cares, the shepherd of our souls, God, the Prince of Peace. And we declare in faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Have a great week. Stay connected with us online. Uh, and we will see you in person at 11 o'clock a.m. next week if you can make it. And in two weeks, back to normal. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for today's service. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing today. You can give at www.gracechurch.tv give or by downloading the app and select give. We can't wait to see you next week.